Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to Something to Graze On podcast. Across the fence or across the nation, all ag talk with B.J. Norrid. Brought to you by NationalAgCo.com, your new agriculture marketplace to list your own classified. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to episode number 14. We've got another candidate for the American Dorper Sheep Breeder Society. And I want to thank them for partnering up with us and giving us the opportunity to interview their candidates for the upcoming election for the 2023 board positions. And i tell you what, I really enjoyed getting to know these people. And a few of them I know, and some of them I don't. And I really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to them. And I hope you all enjoy pulling up a chair and listening with us and getting to know these candidates and about their operation in the Dorper industry and Today, we have Mr. William Phillips. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, good deal. Well, we like to start from the ground up and kind of tell us where you grew up at and how you got into the Dorper industry and where you're at today on it. Sure thing. Um, so, as you said, I'm William Phipps. Um, we operate Centerdale Farm in northern Delaware, right along the state line. Uh, and then we have a part of the operation, the main operations actually in Pennsylvania. Um, so I grew up on a dairy farm in Delaware. Uh, northern Delaware is pretty well developed at this point, um, which is part of the reason we have the Pennsylvania property because there's more land in Pennsylvania. Um, so I went to Penn State, got a degree in dairy and animal science with anticipation that I'd go back to the farm and milk cows. Um, my dad passed away shortly after graduation, so that didn't really work out. Um, the, uh, I went back to school, got a degree in accounting, um, and went to work for an accounting firm uh, auditing um, not-for-profits. And then I went to work for a financial institution after a couple of years of that. 
and uh, today I'm director of tax compliance for a large financial institution. Um, we got into Dorpers when my kids were little, um, so like 2013, um, mostly because we were looking for something to give them sort of the same experiences that my wife and had growing up. My wife and I had growing up, um, you know, showing animals and whatnot. Um, and we wanted a breed that really didn't have wool, um, something that was easy to take care of. Uh, and Dorpers seemed like a great fit. So we bought a few Dorpers and started that way. Um, you know, I, I wanted something that would um, show in breed and that the kids could breed their own livestock and improve upon the animal. Um, and we really fell in love with the breed. Uh, it's a great breed. Um, and from there, we decided, well, we really like this. We want to continue it. And we just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Today, we run about um, 60 head of ewes. Say 40 of those are brood ewes. They're all full bloods. Um, and then I've got 20 that are, you know, either recips or brood ewes. They're, they're, you know, type four ewes, type three ewes. They're, they're just not as good as the, the rest of the flock. Um, and we use those as recips. We were doing um, embryos from Australia, but today we're, we're doing our own embryos. Yes, sir. And looking back, would you change anything? Would you went with a different breed, or what are the characteristics did you really like in the Dorpers? Well, to me, um, the characteristics I like in the Dorpers are, you know, the the fact that they they grow fast, they um, really can maintain themselves on grass, um, but above and beyond all of that, the, the Dorper breed has a very strong breed standard. Um, they don't want a sheep that's too big. They don't want a sheep that's too small. If they get too big, um, you know, they kind of knock them down a little bit. Um, so I, I didn't really want sheep that um, the industry would continue to breed bigger and bigger and bigger like they did suffix. Uh, to me, those kind of animals were just not not productive. You you couldn't maintain a Suffolk without a lot of feed, and I wanted something that I could just maintain on pasture. Um, in Delaware here, it's Eastern State, we have a lot of grass. Grass grows very well, and you know, other than minerals, they don't really need a whole lot unless they're lactating. Uh, as far as things that I might have done differently, I probably would have started with a little better stock. We didn't start with very good stock to begin with, um, but I didn't know a whole lot about sheep a decade ago. So, um, you know, I knew the basic ruminant stuff and basic information that is similar to cattle, because cattle is what I grew up with. And I did have some information from school 
because I, you know, had sheep uh, as part of my education in school. Um, but I didn't have any practical experience. Yes, so um, I probably would have started with better stock and looked for a breeder that was near me that I could learn from. Um, we were very lucky, though, to find a really good veterinarian that we, we learned a lot from as far as health and maintenance. Yes, sir. And, and with the vet, you know, a lot of people that I talk to in our part of the world, everybody's cow, cow vets and small animals, and they're like, well, we don't know a whole lot about sheep, but we'll do our best. And uh, Yeah, you know, well... <laughs> We're, we're kind of thrown to the shoulder and we just kind of live and learn and learn as we go. And, you know, and for me, the Dorper sheep are very hardy. You have very little problems with them uh, from my point of view. And I tell everybody that the biggest two uh, hurdles in the Dorper industry are your parasites and your predators. I said, other than that, you got it made right there. So... Yeah, and we're pretty lucky on predators. We don't have a, a much of a predator load here. I mean, there's a few coyotes around, but um, nothing significant. I mean, we don't we don't have mountain lions or bobcats or bears or anything like that. Well, we're and gonna, coyotes are probably the worst, but yes, sir. Well, we're going to slip into our questions here. Why do you want to serve on the board of directors? Well, I've got great passion for the breed. Um, I want to see the breed continue to grow. Um, one of the reasons we decided to get um, more involved in the breed once we figured out what we were doing was that this part of the country, the breed's really just starting. Um, we would go to shows with the kids, and the judges at these shows had no idea what kind of sheep these were. I mean, they'd, they'd never seen a Dorper before, and they would always ask, well, what is that? Um, we wanted to watch that breed grow and develop in, in the Northeast here. Um, and it's, it's getting there, but I think there's a, a long way to go. So that's one of the reasons I want to uh, run for the board. Um, I also think that, you know, I've got a lot of financial experience that um, I can contribute and help the board in that aspect. Uh, there's other people on the board that have been dealing with sheep a lot longer than I have and know that part of the business much better than I do, but I think that I understand non nonprofits and I understand financial statements probably better than others on the board. So I think it takes, you know, a, a mix of different skills to build a well-rounded board. Yes, sir. And, and, you know, everybody has their weaknesses and you take people that have very strong points and this person has strong points over here and and that's what it's all about everybody works together and creates a phenomenal society to promote the breed and the people and and a lot of, and i've been saying this all along there's no better people than the dorper people everybody's oh, down agree. to earth 
they you can pick up phone you can call anybody and it's just like you've known them for 15 years when you've only been on the phone for them five minutes and uh <laughs> there's not a lot of different industries even in the ag industry where we can meet those kinds of people and just build those relationships and those friendships and they grow and i i agree absolutely yes sir have you ever served on a board before yeah i i currently serve on our newcastle county board um for the farm bureau so um our farm bureau basically has three different counties and i'm on the county board but you know that that's the extent of my board experience yes sir and, and you kind of answered this already but uh what role do you think you will play on the board contribute to the livestock piece as well but um i mean I, i've got a pretty strong understanding of of animal structure I, you know, I was on the penn state dairy judging team and structure is not that different when you go from animal to animal to animal um you know the the function of how they move and whatnot um yeah dairy cow you want a thigh that's you know about three inches wide and with a sheep you want one that's a lot bigger but Mm -hmm. um but you know as far as how the feet and legs work and and you know the top line and and things along that line i I have a very strong understanding of of structure and whether it's sheep or cows or or even pigs for that matter um but yeah i think that um i would have a better understanding of financial statements and I, i shouldn't discount what others know because i don't know what everybody else knows but um i have a pretty strong understanding of financial statements and uh how not-for-profits are supposed to operate yes sir what do you believe your role as a board member in society events and the u.s sheep and lamb industry would be um you know in, in a brief statement i'd say an advocate for the breed um i think that the goal of the society is really to develop the breed and expand the breed participate as a board member i want to be friendly and greet people and um explain to them the breed standards and what makes the dorper special um that they're they're easy to maintain, um, they grow quickly, they produce excellent meat quality, um, they're great mothers. Um, so share my experiences and why they should consider um, changing or looking into Dorper breed. What do you think the society's role in supporting members is? Well, um, you know, beyond uh, promoting the breed and maintaining a breed registry and um, a breed directory. Um, I think that the board should support genetic research, um, especially when you're talking about, uh, I mean, we don't have a very diverse uh, population, uh, gene pool, if you will. Um, so I think if you've got genetic um items that pop up, we should support the research to isolate those genes and figure out 
um, how to correct for it, if need be. Um, I think that we have a real need to educate uh, on the breed standards and typing. Um, like I said before, the, the South Africans have a very strong breed standard. And um, I think it's important to adhere to the breed standard. If you get too far away from it, um, it's much more difficult to maintain the breed in in a in a, a sense of what it what it was supposed to be and, and what we think it should be. Um, and then I, I think that um, we should expand the membership. Um, think a, a great way to do that is to continue to have sales and and support the members through sales. Yes, sir. And, you know, we've been breaking records all across the United States with them showing sales, and mm -hmm. Duncan was very good. The uh, Western states had a good show and sale out there, and Tennessee also did phenomenal there. And uh, – you had one that was there, correct? Yeah, I, I had uh, Champion Ram and Reserve Champion Ram there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, evidently you must be doing something right. So <laughs> I and, try. <laughs> and, and each and every one of us, we raise sheep that we like to walk out there and look at and watch them eat eat the grain and grow and we enjoy it and it's our passion and you know if we're raising sheep that we like there's somebody else down the road that's going to think just as highly of them as you and uh you're going to have a market for them and if you're raising something that you enjoy eventually somebody's going to like it you may be ahead of the market by five years but eventually you're going to be on top somewhere and I've been telling people for a long time that there's no better time to be in the Dorper sheep business than now. And I mainly get in the stuff right before the bottom falls out. And this is the first time <laughs> in my life that I've ever been ahead of the deal. So, uh, in the way that the commercial market is and with those lamb prices, the way they are, uh, per pound at the sales and going to slaughter, and those commercial guys are very important to us, and they're 80% of our operation. And without those commercial markets, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. I agree. Um, I think the commercial breeders extremely important. Um, and I think that the breed standards that were established by the South Africans really play into that. Yes, sir. And, and, you know, I had the pleasure of uh, doing a podcast with Mr. Ash Phillips when he was down here at the Hill Country Show and Sale, and it, he is one of my idols, and I really got to enjoy it. And uh, I don't do any embryo work or anything at this time, but I sure would like to have some of their genetics from over there, and maybe someday <laughs> we'll be able to get there. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Um yeah, hopefully at some point they relax the importation rules, but um, 
yeah, for, for now, I guess we'll have to stick with Australian genetics for the most part. Yes, sir. And, you know, it sure is tough at them showing sales, and there's a lot of good sheep across the country, and a lot of people have the passion for the Dorpers, just like each and every one of us in the industry. And uh, I don't think there's anything that can make that much money for a producer than the Dorper sheep. Yeah, I agree. Um, prices have been phenomenal, um, both in the shows and sales and at New Holland, which is my local market here. Yes, sir. We don't send, we don't send a whole lot to New Holland, but, you know, there's, there's always a group of rams that um, just are not, not good enough for for stud work even even in the commercial box yes sir what member services do you think the society could improve on um well I, i'd like them to be able to support regional uh organizations um at least to get them started um i know that we could use a more regional organization up here in the Northeast. Um, I know that, you know, it's very hard to get that started when you've got a, a relatively small set of, of producers. Um, so, you know, there, there may be a way to financially support and get those regional organization, organizations started. Um, and I think that that would be important. Um, I think that educating judges around the country, um, what a Dorper is supposed to look like is extremely important um, because if judges are picking animals that don't meet the standard, then um, people will breed for something other than what the standard is. So. I think it, it, it's really important to make sure judges understand what our standards are. Yes, sir. Um, and then the other thing is the, we used to have a very nice directory that was easy for people to understand. You know, they'd click on the state and it would pull the directory up. Um, today, the directory is you, you would basically go into um, the the online transaction uh, system and you can put the state in and pull up a, a list of people um, which for us i think is pretty easy because we know how to use it if if you ever submit online transactions uh, i think that others that are not as familiar with the system may have a more difficult part in uh, figuring that out um, so I, I kind of like the other directory a little better. Yes, sir. And so I, I'd, I'd like to see how others in in our um, population of members feel about that. Yes, sir. How would you engage more members to become active within the society? 
So I, I think that, um, you know, just recently they've, they've started to do that um, by creating these, these groups to focus on particular areas and, and they solicited, solicited um, people to participate on those um, different engagements. Um, so I signed up to, to do education because I think education is very important. Um, to help grow the breed and expand um, the the membership. So um, I would I really think that a, a good way to do that is to continue um, down the path that that the board has recently started. Uh, so I, I would certainly continue with that process. Yes, sir. And, you know, that's one thing that we need to do is, as breeders ourselves, not just the association, but uh, we need to help promote the breed every way we can and uh, get it known out there to the public about the Dorper meat. And because a lot of people think, oh, that's lamb, that's nasty, and and, and I mean, I will agree because everybody thinks of those wool sheep and you get that muttony, lintony smell and taste. And from showing market lambs back in FFA, I, I can still smell that to this day. But the Dorper is a very mild meat and it's very good at dunking. There was three of us standing there, and we all three said we didn't like it, and we all three sampled and went right back for more, and uh, it was very good, and I've had it in the hamburger type, and that just wasn't my cup of tea, but uh, those little kebabs and tamales, I mean, uh, you could hurt yourself on them because you want to just stuff keep on eating. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned that um so the 4-h club that my kids belong to is um it's strictly sheep that's all they do well i guess they have goats too so sheep and goat club um and one year at part as part of the wrap-up of the year um what they did was they took lamb from a bunch of these different breeds and then they went out to the grocery store and bought lamb um, at the grocery store and you know we cooked it all the same way and uh, it, we did a blind taste test and the Dorper was number one on everybody's list um, and the one that was least liked by everyone was the grocery store <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know i'm sure even cooking it you can smell the difference in it uh you know I yeah i mean it like i said it, it was kind of all cooked together though mm -hmm. so i mean just different pots but yeah. all in the so um it was all done the same way yeah and hopefully it wasn't inside somebody's house to smell up the house but <laughs> That was in my house is where it was. <laughs> well, 
Well, we're going to go to a quick commercial real quick. The Something to Graze On podcast is brought to you by NationalAgCo.com. If you're looking to buy or sell in the ag industry, look no further. It's always free to browse, and for a limited time, you get a free one-year membership. Simply sign up and post a listing. No credit card required. User-friendly, simple to search, and you can manage your listing within your account with ease. Someone can click on your listing with your name, phone number, email, location, and price, and below that has all your other available listings. Put us in your corner and back American agriculture. From seeds to produce, bees to buffaloes, lawn care to farm equipment, across the fence or across the nation, we are here to serve you. Visit our website at nationalagco.com. That is nationalagco.com. And remember, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And we're here to make that connection. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. And we're with William Phillips, and he's one of the candidates for the American Dorper Sheep Breeder Society. And we're getting to get, we're getting to know all these people and getting their insight on their goals for the operation and their outlook on what they want to bring to the table as a board member and i really appreciate the miss caitlin asking me to do this and it sure is a privilege for me to get to sit down and talk with these candidates and william uh our next question is what is your vision for the society's youth program so um you know honestly i i don't know that i have a great answer for that um question um you know i i, I recognize it's important to have a youth program um especially a youth program that would transition um the the youth the, the children into um dorper breeders in the future um i i think that you have to have a program that does that um i'm just not sure the best way to go about that i have to give that some more thought um obviously i think you should continue to support kids that are showing um I think that the more you can get the Dorper breeds out there for people to see, the better it is. Um, I just, I, I don't know what the statistics are as far as um, does that child that shows a Dorper sheep become the future breeder of Dorpers? Um, you know, that said, I, I think um, I'd hold my kids out as examples, especially my daughter, she's more interested in sheep than my son, um, of, you know, really great kids that I think would um, continue and really contribute to the, the Dorper breed in the future. Um, you know, my daughter in particular, I, I, I think she is the future for um, the Dorper sheep. She's, she's a great showman. 
she knows her sheep. She's, you know, taken the Dorper, the junior Dorper course. She did very well on it. Um, you know, they work alongside us on the farm. Um, they know the sheep and they know how to take care of them. They recognize when they're not feeling well. Um, how you transition that into a program for the society is where I need to spend some more time thinking. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a better answer for you, but. Well, in your part of the world, you know, here in Texas, a showing deal is like huge for us, which we're a big state and we are lots of sheep and goat country down here. So it's a little bit different in our part of the world. But uh, for your area, are there a lot of shows that the kids can go to a lot or is it just few and far between? There's a lot of shows. Um, it's just that, well, A, it's time. Mm -hmm. um, it's difficult to have a full-time job because my, my wife and I both have full-time jobs. Um, and then we've got the farm. And then to take time off to go to shows every weekend would be difficult. But really, the problem is there aren't, there aren't Dorper-specific shows in very many places. Um, some of the state fairs have them, but uh, otherwise you're going to be showing, you know, against Hamps or Suffix or something else. Yes, sir. So, so in the Dorper world, there's not a whole lot up there in your area. Uh, so it would be hard to really, you'd have to figure out a way to really get the Dorper breed to promote it up there where people are more interested in it. Uh, to get the numbers up and and if you did that in the youth deal and then people see how well the Dorper sheep adapt and make money uh, as a commercial producer or a seed, <clears throat> seed stock producer uh, that would be one way that would help grow the industry in your area yeah uh, like I said my, my kids have shown um Dorpers since they were little, um, and judges originally didn't even know what they were. Um, but, you know, in I'd say the past six, six years or so, you know, they all know what they are. Um, they may not know what they're supposed to look like, but um, still people that come to the shows may have not seen them but I, I think all the, all the judges have. Um, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, I, I think it's important to, to, to have the kids go out and show the sheep and, and get them seen. Um, how you support the kids in doing that is, you know, maybe a financial thing. Yes, sir. What do you see the biggest production challenge in Dorper and white Dorper sheep being successful in the U.S. sheep and lamb industry? Um, well, there, there may be some people that disagree with me here, um, but, you know, I, I look at the Dorper sheep and I, I see sheep that um, may be a bit too dry. Um, you know, they don't have enough cover on them. 
And I struggle with that because I know that other sheep, especially in the market for the club lambs, um, they want them rock hard. Um, but you could never hang that carcass on a rail. It, it would dry out. So, you know, I, I, I think that um, from my perspective, a, a dorper should have more cover on it. it. It should be a little wetter carcass. And I think it should be wetter on the, in the show ring because um, that's what the commercial guys need. They need something that can graze on pasture, put on a good cover, um, and really make a great product. Um, and then I've seen too many sheep that have shoulder problems. So I, I think that's another issue. Yes, sir. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because there's a podcast I listen to called Beyond the Ring. And they talk about the different stuff in the show ring. And form to function is a lot of things what they relate back to. And uh, they talk about, okay, well, this is a market. This is a prospect. And that that was one episode that they said, well, this one right here, when you hang it, and it goes to the grocery store, it's going to dry out a whole lot faster than this one over here. They're just too lean and no covering, and they're going to dry out, and that color won't be right when it's sitting in the supermarket. Yeah, so the challenge, though, is how do you have animals that are in the show ring um, consistent with what you're going to hang on the rail? Yes, sir. And, and, you know, that's what it's all about in the uh, dorper industry. They're, those sheep can go out and make a living fending for themselves on basically nothing, producing that lamb without any assistance, going out there in drought conditions and producing a good bag of milk and getting that thing ready to go to market and four months or whatever it will be for your operation. And then that's your paycheck for the year. And mm -hmm. th the fact that they breed out of season, they're year round and you can, you know, pick your markets the way you want it. And there's no other breed that can really jump out there and do that than the Dorpers. Agreed. Especially since um, those spring lambs are where you're getting your big money. You know, by the time summer comes, prices have flown. All of the other sheep have come onto the market. Yes, sir. And, you know, for years, everybody wanted to hit that Easter market. And we hit that summertime low, and then everybody shoots for that market, and they flood it. But in the last few years, I mean, we had that summer drop, but it's been pretty consistent, and it, it really doesn't matter here in the last, I'd say, three years where you could kind of sell year-round and get along okay as long as you didn't hit that real hot summertime drought deal. You was doing pretty well any time. So 
you know, it's a trend deal, and I know f- that we're importing a lot of lamb across, uh, you know, overseas. And if if the U.S. producer can step up there and produce more and better product and keep our natural resources here and our income and everything to help the American farmer and rancher, we'll be doing a really good job. Absolutely. Do you think it is important for the society to support research? I do. Um, I think genetic research is important. Um, the, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I came from the dairy industry, and the dairy industry had, uh, it, you know, it got to a point where you had a, a concentration of genetics because with dairy, everything's done artificial insemination. You're taking, you know, the, the top 25 bulls and essentially that's what everybody was breeding to. Um, and they had certain genetic defects pop up um, because of it. Uh, mule foot, for example, um, basically is a defect where the hoof was it, it didn't have two toes it was one toe um and you know it, that sort of thing's problematic um so we have similar things in the dorper breed or sheep in general um if you can develop tests for those I, I think that you know that's that's important so that you can keep the keep the breed um you know, at, at least not impacted by those um, different defects that, that might pop up, like, like the, the jaw problem or um, I, know, I know the white dorpers have a skin problem. Um, so that sort of thing, because if if somebody buys an animal and it has a problem, it, it will just leave a bad taste in their mouth and, and they may not stick to a Yes, sir. And, and, you know, as breeders, it's our responsibility to deliver our customers the best product that we can. And uh, they're going to mm-hmm. put them in their breeding operation. And just like Ash said, when we was talking about it, he said, uh, they went out and bought an outside ram. He said, we we don't really do that very often. He said, we're uh, lion bred pretty heavily. And they go by paperwork of how they're going to make their breeding. And mm-hmm. and I, I'm not one of them people that's smart enough to figure all that out. So uh, maybe someday. But. He said, we, we bought this ram. We didn't know a whole lot about him. And we got these lambs out of him. And he said, they were okay. He said, you'd have two really good ones and out of 10, and the rest of them were just mediocre. So uh, he said, we got to watching that ram, and he broke down real bad in the shoulders. He said, so we just called that whole lamb market and went straight to the sale barn with them uh, to process them. And uh, Mm -hmm. because that one ram will set your operation back 10 years. So you're better off just starting ahead, 
culling the whole deal and starting over rather than trying to piece it and make it work for you. He said, you're setting yourself up for failure. And as individual breeders, when we go out there and we know that we have defects, we need to send that one to the slaughterhouse. That way we're not uh, making that bad genetic decision for somebody else down the road that's going to eventually catch back up with us and, like you said, give them a bad taste in their mouth for the breed. Yeah. Well, part of the problem is that a lot of these defects are um, they're recessives. So they're not presented when you have an animal. But when you breed two animals with the defective gene together, now it presents itself. So um, the only way I think you can do that is ha have an open conversation about these genes that may pop up over time because um you know the, the recessive isn't seen by everybody and we all have um i guess a we don't we don't want people to think that our animals are defective right so um because they're not going to buy them and, um so I, I think that's a struggle but I, I think it is important to to support the the genetic research and um, hopefully develop some some sort of way to identify those those recessive genes that may be defective. Yes, sir. And and with that being said, some of those uh, genetic defects don't show up until you breed two carriers of it. So correct, correct. And, and I'm. I'm like the world's worst on understanding a lot of that stuff. And uh, so I'm going to get educated on it someday. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I had the pleasure of talking to a guy, and he's very knowledgeable. And we talked for, I believe, an hour and 45 minutes, and I just listened. He had lots of knowledge. And – when we got done, he started asking me about the genetic things and this and that. I'm like, uh, never heard it, never seen it. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, and you won't about the bottom jaw deal. And, uh, you know, I don't deal with a lot of things in the association other than, uh, just registering my sheep and I'm going to try to start doing better as a, a member to get out there and be more involved in stuff. And, uh, because I really enjoy the Dorper sheep and I don't think there's anything out there that's any better. And they're sure enough hard to beat. No, I agree. Um, and you know, we really haven't had any issues, but, we haven't done any line breeding. Um, you know, our, our population's been pretty diverse so far. Um, but I, I think that as your, as your breeding program matures, you get to a point where hopefully you're breeding the kind of sheep that you want. And it's difficult to find sheep elsewhere 
that's better than what you have. So as your program matures, you start to use your own stuff. And I think that's kind of where we are now. Um, and that's where, if you have any of these genetic recessives that they'll show up. Yes, sir. So we're going to, I think we'll, we'll see how these lambs turn out, but I think we're going to start some of our own rams and um, do some line breeding. Yes, sir. And, you know, fingers crossed we don't have any problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Let's see. It's line breeding if it works. It's inbreeding if it doesn't work. So <laughs> that that's what the joke is. And uh, yeah, there I know there's a lot of very, very intelligent people that understand how that works. And uh, maybe someday I'll get to sit down with them and have somebody explain that to me and where I really understand what – at what percentage, you know, cousin and back to daughter and all that good stuff. And there's a lot of it that goes on, and there's people that really understand it and are very sharp, but they've been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. For future goals, what would you like to accomplish during your three-year term as a board member? Um, well, I, I know that the, the board has talked about getting, you know, the certified Dorper lamb um, designation. And I haven't seen or heard that much about it since, you know, since the uh, program kicked off, if you will. But, um, you know, and I have read the minutes, but, you know, the, the most recent minutes haven't had enough detail. Um, but I, I'd like to to have that move forward if possible. And, you know, I'm sure there's roadblocks that I'm not even aware of. Um, another thing that I, I think is very important is judges training. Um, I think there's a lot of judges that do not understand door groups. They, they, uh, they don't understand that um, it's okay to have a little more brisket on the dorper than it is on some of these other breeds. Um, you know, that, that chest projection. Um, I, I think that we need to educate those judges, and I don't think that they're going to come down to take a full door for course. So any little thing we can do to um, take that education to them, I think, is a, a good thing. Yes, sir. Uh, so, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to um, maybe get a better understanding of how the financials work in the in the association. Um, I think that's important. Um, you know, I don't know if they have an audit committee, but I think an audit committee, somebody that can talk to the auditors when they come in and audit the financial statements is um, important. Um, so those are the sort of things that I, I would like to accomplish. Yes, sir. In your opinion, what's the high priority issues the board should tackle in the next five years? Oh, um, well, I, I think that um, – I think they should get a better understanding of the impact that 
having South Africans come over has on, you know, the, the broader picture. So I, I know that having South African inspectors come over is very expensive, but um, does that have a positive impact on the sales that they judge? Um, is the long-term um, benefit to have them come and educate people? Um, so I think that that's a high priority for me. Yes. Sir. Um, and then, you know, putting together something that um, we can take to judges at, you know, some of the big shows where um, maybe you have lots of judges like, like the Junior All-American. If we could just get, you know, a, a few hours with them to, to talk about um, the breed standards and what they're supposed to look like, um, that they're production animals. Um, you don't want that cylindrical shape, um, that a little, a little more uh, chest projection is okay. It doesn't need to be completely flat. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing I, I think is um, important so that they get their placings right um, and, and color because I've seen judges knock sheep down for um, color that is acceptable. I mean, they're, they're not perfect, but they're still stud quality animals. Yes, sir. Where do you see the society in 2052? <laughs> I struggle with that question a little bit. Um, 2052 is a, a really long timeline um, to have a meaningful vision. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you talk about maybe a five to ten year um, timeline, which I think from my perspective is, is a little more reasonable. I mean, that's 30 years from now. I don't, has the, the breed hasn't even been here for 30 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of a interesting question and everybody's really kind of just, you know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. So how, how are we going to know what uh, we're going to be doing in 30 years? And uh, Leanne hit it on the head yesterday and I've never really sat down and thought, well, that's 30 years from now. She said, well, I'll be 70 years old, and it'll be this and that. And I'm like, hey, we're the same age here. Huh. Well, will my yeah. wife kill me before then, or uh, are we good to go? But, you know, I still think, in my opinion, the Dorper sheep will still be thriving good. Uh it's hard to say because the amount of land that's being bought up and putting in uh, housing additions and this and that, I think it's hard to say. Uh, well, not only that, but, you know, you've got um, places in, out west where they used to graze sheep that they don't let them graze sheep anymore, you know, national parks and whatnot because they're afraid of cross-contamination between the domestic sheep and, you know, the, the wild sheep, the bighorns and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're losing farmland. And trust me, nobody knows that more than the people 
uh, around here along the 95 corridor um, because you know it's it, it's complete jungle, concrete jungle from uh, you know Boston all the way down to sea. It's um, it's amazing along that corridor, uh, and I'm not far from it. Um, so yeah, I I understand what you're saying. You have uh, you have struggles that are outside of just the breed itself, um, you know. But if we could talk about you know maybe a ten-year vision, what do I think would happen in ten years? Um, you know, I, I think there'll be a lot more expansion of the breed, especially in the northern states. Um, I mean, the Dorper's a pre predominant animal down in you know Texas, but that's not the predominant animal here in Delaware or Pennsylvania or whatnot. Um, but I, I think that that wave is coming and, um, you know, you, you see that from the sales. So um, you see who's buying the sheep and what part of the countries they're, they're coming from. And you, you can see that it, it is moving east and it is moving north. Yes, sir. And, and kind of what your climate and your temperatures throughout the year is where you're located at the the climate here yes um yeah it, it's pretty wet here we get about 48 inches of rain a year um so um we we didn't have as much rain this year but in in most years that that's kind of the average mm -hmm. um where i am it it's fairly moderate temperature um uh, it doesn't get real cold um you know, we'll get down to single digits, maybe, um, maybe a couple times a year, but that's it. Usually, it it's in the twenties at night. Um, it is about as cold as it gets. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer, we, we do get some hot weather, but nothing like you have down in Texas. The, the real difference is we've got humidity. Um, it's like East Texas, like Houston humidity up here. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have um, the Houston humidity there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's horrible. Been there, done that. And, uh, you know, it's pretty bad when you're at the Houston Stock Show in uh, March and April, and it, it's the humid already. So, yeah, hmm. we like to stay away from there. Yeah. yeah. So when you've got that humidity and the heat and that kind of moisture – you can imagine, um, you know, the, the worm load you can expect with that. So uh, having sheep that are resistant to worms is extremely important, and ro rotating those pastures is extremely important to us. Yes, sir. And, you know, that's the best thing about the Dorper breed. They can adapt to any climate if you go in the right time of year and give them enough time to get uh accumulated for that climate they're going to thrive and uh there's not a whole lot of different creatures that can adapt so well in my opinion and i think all in all they're just a great breed and uh being able to produce that meat for the producer in a short amount of time yeah, frankly, I find my, my sheep are more comfortable when it's 50 degrees than anything else. Um, so, you know, if 
if it's 40, 50 degrees, they're perfectly comfortable. You know, when, <laughs> when it gets to be 90, they're looking for shade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if it gets down into the single digits and the wind's blowing, you know, they're looking for shelter. So, yes, um, sir. Get that wind break on them and they're just perfectly fine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I, I was talking to somebody that, um, it was a judge that had come down and he said that he knew a guy in Wyoming that, um, bought a bunch of sheep from Texas and they didn't do well. I'm like, well, when did he buy them? He said, November. I'm like, well, you hauled sheep from Texas to Wyoming <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, put them up there and you probably didn't have any shelter for them. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't do well. Yeah. So I think acclimating to the, to the temperature is important. Yes, sir. You take them up there in the summertime, I think they'd be just fine and kind of get acclimated to it by the time that, uh, winter set in and they'll be good to go. But, Mm -hmm. but, uh, well, we're fixing to wrap it up. And was there anything that you'd like to add? No, I just wanted to thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you, sir. And uh, go ahead and give us your contact info. That way somebody can call and ask you some questions if they need to. Sure. Uh, Again, my name is William Phipps. Um, Phone number is 302-528-4218. Anybody can reach out to me at any time. I'm happy to answer any questions. Yes, sir. And... uh, I want to thank our listeners for sitting in with us and listening to all of our candidates and be sure to get on there and vote. Uh, uh, Ballots were mailed out October the 10th. Uh, They need to be postmarked by November the 15th. You can do online uh, voting also. And uh, I want to thank each and every one of our candidates for sitting in with us i really appreciate it and i've enjoyed it uh y'all can reach me at national agco at gmail.com or text me at 940-366-5688 tell me what y'all want to listen to some topics that y'all'd like to get some insight on and be sure to visit our website at nationalagco.com. Get your, if you got some sheep to sell or whatever, be sure to do that. And we've got lots of traffic going through there every month, and we just need your ads to help you get your uh, agriculture stuff sold. I want to thank each and every one of you across the fence or across the nation. Remember, it's not what you know, it's who you know. We're here to make that connection. Thanks for listening to Something to Graze On podcast, brought to you by NationalAgCo.com. It's not what you know, it's who you know, and we are here to make that connection.